Welcome everyone to the webinar, Labor Migration Governance in West Africa in the wake of the pandemic. My name is Camila Coz, and I am a policy analyst at the Migration Policy Institute. And I'd like to start with a housekeeping note. Um, if you have any technical problem, please email events at migrationpolicy.org or call 202-266-1929. Um, we will have a Q&A at the end of the call after um, our discussion with those panelists. Um, there will not be a voice Q&A, so please type any question you have uh, in the Q&A chat box or email them at events at migrationpolicy.org. Um, related to this webinar and as part of a recent project with the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, BMZ and GIZ, Kate Hooper and myself recently released a policy brief precisely on the topic of today's discussion, deepening labor migration governance at a time of immobility, lesson from Ghana and Senegal. And so I'd like to start today with a few rapid introductory remarks before delving into the discussion with, with our panelists. Um, and we've had three starting points for this conversation today. The first one, is the effect of COVID-19 on regional mobility. We know the pandemic has had far-reaching economic consequences on economies in West Africa. And one main issue has been the ongoing border closure, travel restrictions, as well as changing public health measures at the border. All of this have curtailed labor migration in West Africa, and they've added a layer of complexity to migration management in the region. The second aspect that we'd like to delve into is um, how countries like Ghana and Senegal that have tried in the past year to develop or update their migration policy, but also set up adequate governance structure to implement them with many questions on how to maximize the benefits of migration for development, how to push to, toward free movement within the ECOWAS region while continuing to protect local workers and business and finally, how migrants can contribute to the recovery efforts after the pandemic. And then our third question, uh, our third main question for today is, what is the role of development cooperation in all this? European and bilateral development agencies have been active in the past years on migration programs in West Africa, providing technical assistance, funding, and in the past month, there have been various efforts to think about what migration programming will look like under the new EU budget. And so in this context, we're going to you know, ask ourselves how development agencies can best support African countries in resuming mobility and enhancing the development benefits of labor migration. To discuss all of this issue, we have today four panelists. Michael Kate Hooper, who is a policy analyst at the Migration Policy Institute, Leander Candilije, who is a senior, direct, senior lecturer of migration studies at the Center for Migration Study at the University of Ghana. Lamfia Diane, who is advisor and economist at the Ministry of Economy, Planning and Cooperation in Senegal. And Dennis Rodgen, who is senior policy advisor officer um, at the Federal Ministry for Economy, Cooperation, Development uh, in Germany. Um, and maybe I'll start with, with Kate, um, my colleague, to ask a few, a few questions on um, the situation in West Africa. 
And Kate, I was wondering whether you could maybe some preview some of the finding uh, from the paper you author on how the pandemic has disrupted labor migration in West Africa and the implication for labor migration governance. Thanks, Camille. So I will first start by providing a little bit of context on labor migration in the region. Um, as you alluded to, there's significant cross-border movement in the region, both for work and for other reasons. Um, in 2019, before the pandemic hit, there were an estimated 10.1 million West African migrants living in other countries, um, about two thirds in other countries in West Africa, and then about a third living outside of the region. So for example, Europe, the Gulf countries and North America. But this is likely to be quite a significant underestimate, especially for West Africa, given that there are quite porous borders in the region. So safe to say that labor migration is an important dynamic within the region. Um, and the ECOWAS free movement area helps facilitate this cross-border trade and mobility as well. Um, there are a series of protocols that allow for visa-free travel, and there's also the right to reside and work in another member state. So those are, that's the legal context that a, a lot of this labor migration happens under. Um, but like in other regions, we've really seen the pandemic disrupt these movements significantly. Um, countries moved quickly to close their borders to try and slow the spread of COVID-19 in spring of 2020, um, even within the free movement areas. So in an area where there weren't border controls in the same way, suddenly citizens found themselves unable to move or turn to another country within the region. And of course, one result is that we saw significant populations stranded right on either side of the border um, and needing assistance to return home. So that's one sort of obvious effect of the pandemic for these populations. And it's also impeded cross-border trade um, and that's had knock-on effects for border communities in particular as well. Um, it's not possible to fully seal any border um, particularly in the region, um, but you know that's that's generally true anywhere. Um, but it's safe to say that there has been a significant disruption to mobility. Um, and 18 months on, things still aren't back to normal. We've seen air travel resume with new public health measures in place, so things like testing before departure or post arrival, um, and quarantine measures for people who say test positive for COVID-19. Um, but a number of land borders still remain closed 18 months on. So the effects of the pandemic are still being felt. So just to talk briefly about what this means for labor migration governance going forward before we hear from um, the other panelists. Um, you know, improving the governance of labor migration has been a priority for years. And we'll hear a little bit more specifically about Ghana and Senegal and their efforts in this area um, in a moment. But the focus has been perhaps more on managing emigration processes, so ensuring fair and ethical recruitment um, of nationals, engaging the diaspora, um, and there's also been some efforts to improve the management of immigration into um, national territories as well, um, but that's perhaps been a little bit less of a focus, and one of the sort of areas that we've seen a lot of work in this, in this field has been sort of implementing the protocols under ECOWAS as well. Um, but the pandemic has really sort of, again, disrupted these efforts, right, and sort of switched up the priorities. We've seen that diaspora engagement is a really important priority now. Um, but we've also, you know, 
seen that it's perhaps a little bit more politically sensitive. So if you're talking, for example, about facilitating free movement and ensuring full access to local labor markets, the economic downturn can make that a bit more complicated. You know, there's a lot of sensitivity around protecting livelihoods of locals. So that's one area where the pandemic perhaps, you know, changes the political context a little bit um, when talking about labor migration governance. But I think that the last 18 months has also really made the case for why effective governance is so important and also why cooperation is key as well. Um, you know, COVID-19 has made many labor migrants more vulnerable, you know, whether they can't access healthcare, whether they're having to work or live in unsafe conditions, or whether they end up losing their job and being stranded in place. So this is where having effective frameworks that really set out and enforce um, the rights of labor migrants is really important. And I think that really illustrates the importance of cooperation in this area as well. You know, cooperation regionally as well can be a key for restarting mobility safely. Um, you know, I think that like in other regions of the world, you know, countries moved quickly and acted unilaterally to try and sort of slow the spread of COVID-19, but that had a lot of knock-on effects and illustrated the perils of not coordinating these actions with your neighbors. You know, if one country closes a border, there's knock-on effects for their neighbors, travel restrictions, if not, you know, rolled out with the awareness of the other country that it's affecting can leave people stranded, that sort of thing. So I think that there's a clear case there for improving coordination um, between neighboring countries in particular. And also when now thinking about rolling out new public health measures and trying to restart mobility safely as well. You know, we've seen some steps being taken in this direction by ECOWAS, for example, setting a sort of common fee for COVID tests for its citizens. But I think there's more that could be done in this area to really try and coordinate on efforts to restart mobility and rolling out these measures as well. And I think that developing a regional response also helps potentially speed up efforts to restart inter-regional inter mobility. So that is from West Africa to other regions of the world as well. You know, we're seeing a situation where countries are reopening selectively based on different public health criteria, and they're relying on digital credentials to do so in some cases. And I think that's where this com complex map um, of efforts, it's a bit easier to sort of navigate if you're working together with your neighbors and, you know, using a sort of regional approach to then go and negotiate rather than having each country try and do that on their own. So I think that's another area where better governance and more cooperation is potentially very useful as well. And then the final point is, again, this point around diaspora engagement. You know, I think that the pandemic really illustrated the importance of consular services to support overseas nationals and also the importance of remittances as well. So I think that's one area where, again, there's a clear case for governance going forward. Um, and that's perhaps one of the sort of priorities we might see emerge in the next few months. Thanks, Kate, for, for this overview. Um, and I'd now like to turn to Lander uh, from the University of Ghana. Um, for, to, to zoom on the situation there. So Lander, you've cl closely followed the development of Ghana migration policies. Um, can you tell us first why labor migration policy has been high on the agenda of the government and maybe what has driven the decision to adopt a dedicated labor migration policy in 2020? All right, thank you very much, Camille. Um, Ghana developed a national migration policy in 2016, 
exactly for the purposes that have been outlined by uh, Kate to harness the developmental impacts of uh, migration towards socioeconomic development, but also to minimize the negatives that are associated with uh, migration. Then from that overarching national policy, there was the need for sectoral policies to be developed. And the labor, the national labor migration policy is one of such, one of two policies. The second one is the diaspora engagement policy. So the main rationale for the labor migration policy especially was uh, aimed at four key uh, objectives or key targets that uh, the government set for itself. Um, first of all, to be able to govern labor migration properly, to allow us to extract these uh, benefits that are associated with labor migration. But secondly, to also extend rights to labor migrants and members of their households. And thirdly, to target the developmental uh, implications that are embedded in labor migration uh, broadly. And finally, to look at the issues of uh, data, so migration data and then issues of migration information uh, systems. So for um, the labor migration policy, it came into effect in 2020. And since then, since it was launched, we've adopted a multi-sectorial approach with the establishment of a technical working group, which comprises of all the key government ministries, departments, and then agencies, including the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, the Minister of Employment and Labor Relations, and the Minister of Gender, Children, and Social Protection, and other ministries, with the support of development partners like GIZ, on behalf of the German government, and then IOM. They've been instrumental in adapting this uh, multi-sectoral approach. And um, a step that is uh, supposed to help the process is the, the fact that we have come out with uh, national um, work plans for each of the ministries, specifically in the area of labor migration. And each ministry is supposed to report on a quarterly basis the progress they have made, the targets they set for themselves, and key performance indicators have been set by the coordinating ministry, which is the Minister of Employment and Labor Relations. And a lot is going on within that type of framework. Um, one of the members, the Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, on his own, has also collaborated with the Diaspora Office, Office of the President, to champion the drafting of a diaspora engagement policy. And a lot of the aspects of this policy also touch on uh, uh, issues of labor migration, the rights of migrants, and also what to expect from the migrant community abroad. So if I just spend a, a couple of seconds talking about the diaspora engagement policy, which is related to the labor migration policy, we adopted a conceptual framework, which is uh, supposed to be structured in three forms. First of all, we realized that it was important for us to build the capacity of diaspora institutions abroad and also collaborating institutions nationally or locally. But secondly, to extend rights to migrants before the test strand of attempting to extract benefits from um, labor migrants. Because the tendency is for governments to think uh, solely on the issue of remittances and what they can get from the diaspora without, first of all, looking at or reflecting on the rights that need to be extended to uh, members of the migrant community. So labor migration, when well-managed, 
within the context of Ghana is intended to help us leverage on the benefits that we are aware of beyond just remittances, skills transfers, and so on and so forth towards our targeted national uh, development exercise. The Minister of uh, Gender, Children, and Social Protection on its own is also tackling another dimension of labor migration from this perspective of uh, human trafficking, human smuggling, and also irregular migration. So we are tackling uh, labor migration from different uh, angles. The Minister of Foreign Affairs looking at diaspora aspects, the Minister of Gender looking at issues of trafficking, and then the Labor Ministry focusing solely its attention on issues of labor, labor migrants in the country and also Ghanaian labor migrants abroad. And this is heavily supported by the GIZ. They have the Ghanaian German Center for Jobs, Migration and Reintegration, which is playing a critical role. Under that setup, they've recruited the services of some key um, um, consultancy firms like GFA. We also have the Collective Leadership Institute. And all these are building the capacity of the different players in the area of the management or the governance of labor migration in the country. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lander. I think very interesting what you mentioned about the overall architecture to start with this overall um, migration policy and then go into the thematic aspect um, and also the governance of, of this policy. Uh, all this ministry being involved, but the steering being done by one ministry um, and the development of all these different work plan uh, with key performance indicators. Um, that all sound very promising. And, and I just wanted to ask from your perspective, what have been the main obstacles to rolling out this policy since last year? And maybe specifically in the context of the pandemic, uh, has this has added to the difficulties to, to, implement, uh, to implement it? Yes. So one key strand in the national mig uh, migration policy, and then for that matter, the, labor, the national labor migration policy, is the establishment of the Ghana National Commission on Migration. This is supposed to be an entity or a vehicle which will coordinate all issues migration in the country. And unfortunately, since 2016, when the national migration policy was launched, to date, the Ghana National Commission on Migration is yet to be set up. The good news, though, is that with the support of IOM and the GIZ, we are in the process of establishing this commission. And we are hoping that this coordinating vehicle will allow us to govern labor migration in a coherent manner. We have several policies around labor migration, but there is policy incoherence in the country. And we need to bring all the critical players together so that there's that seamless uh, approach to the governance of labor migration in the country. The issue of uh, the uh, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, it has actually taken a toll on the efforts that were initiated before the onset of the, the pandemic. So for instance, in the area of capacity building, there have been several attempts by development partners to try and then build the capacity of ministries, departments, and then uh, agencies. However, because of the pandemic, we haven't had the opportunity to have physical meetings for an extended period of time, at least 18 months. Now, a way out that has been identified by GIZ mainly is to adopt hybrid approaches. So you have a few people around the table and then the rest join virtually. And this is 
proving to be an effective way around the, the setbacks that are associated with the, the pandemic. Then you can also uh, look at the issue of the location of some key institutions that are targeted at managing uh, migration-related issues. So we have the Diaspora Affairs Office, Office of the President, for instance, is inaccessible to the ordinary labor migrant who returns to the country. It used to be located at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, but with the change of government, that has been relocated. And some people are of the view that key institutions that are supposed to champion the affairs or the interests of migrants should be in ministries that are easily accessible. Because of security screening processes, an institution that is located at the presidency is not one that can be easily accessed by labor migrants. So this is another setback even beyond uh, the issue of the, the pandemic. Then the issue of funding is a critical one. I know it's a common challenge with uh, all initiatives, but funding has been a, a big problem that has faced the different ministries that have attempted or have been championed or designated or mandated to lead the effort in managing or governing labor migration. Fortunately, some funding is coming through from the development partners and the issue now is to make sure that we have the coherence and then utilize the funds in a way that will maximize the potential benefits of coordinating migration to be able to enlist the potential benefits that are associated with labor migration. So these are some uh, challenges that uh, capacity building, funding, issues of the pandemic, the location of institutions in the wrong uh, ministries or government setups. These are some of the issues that come to mind. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Leander. And, and I think we'll go back to this question of development cooperation um, in a minute. But I'll now turn to Lamphia, who is from the Ministry of Economy, Planning and Cooperation in Senegal, um, for an overview of the situation there in, in the country. Um, so maybe, uh, Lamphia, if you can tell us a bit about how many people are still moving to work or for other reason, um, despite the current border closure in Senegal. Maybe we'll start there uh, with a bit of context. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Camille. And thanks to all the panelists and uh, participants for uh, your presence. Uh, frankly, for the question, uh, we don't know presently how many people are still moving for work or as a reason uh, in our country. Uh, the deficit of migration statistic is a crucial problem in our country. And I think it is the same case for all developing countries nowadays, notably in the context of pandemic COVID-19. Any census or survey allow us to estimate relevantly the flow or the stock of Senegalese migrants in general and Senegalese labor migrants in particular. We have real problems with migrant statistics. For example, uh, in 2006, the Senegalese sectoral policy letter of Senegalese abroad estimated between two 0.5 million to 3 million, the number of Senegalese abroad. Well, seven years later, exactly in uh, 2000, uh, 
13, the United Nations Population Division estimated to only 533,000 uh, the number of Senegalese abroad. And this number is largely less than the first number which is given by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs seven years ago. The gap between the two numbers is very high. So uh, we, we have a real problem with migrant statistics. In other side, there is not enough internal budgetary resource allocated to produce regularly migrant migration statistics in our country. Our national statistics system is weekly operational, and our uh, national stat strategy, statist, uh, development strategy, uh, which is in its uh, third edition, is also weekly implemented. Therefore, the problem of statistic deficit is real in our country, notably the deficit of migration statistics. And that's why, presently, uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly the number of people we are still moving for work or other results. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's um, yeah. Thank you. That's a good point, and for pointing out like the the gap in um, in the statistic you can work with now also to plan for for the response. Um, and I wanted to follow up on this on you know the national migration strategy in Senegal. Um, we know Senegal is in the process of reviewing it. Could you tell us a bit about how much of a priority is labor migration for the Senegalese government and why that is? No. Uh, our national migration policy is not under review, but it's awaiting a government validation. The, uh, uh, the technical validation by uh, the National Steering Committee is already done. So we are, we are waiting the official seal or stamp of the government. Nevertheless, uh, there are few initiatives uh, in perspectives to make sectoral migration strategy for managing irregular migration and labor migration. Uh, but don't worry, all the sectoral migration strategy will be based on the national migration policy, vision, and strategic orientations. Uh, uh, pre presently, uh, we need the government validation of our national migration policy for erecting migration national issues on the level of national development priorities and give to our country a consensual vision and strategic orientation in the field of migration. Uh, and in other side, uh, the implementation of uh, this national migration policy action plan will support our country to ensure a global coherence between different migratory projects and activities implemented in Senegal. Uh, moreover, or uh, in uh, other respect, uh, more uh, uh, the Senegalese diaspora uh, contribution uh, to the household living condition improvement by the level of remittances can be uh, 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 can be uh, followed by uh, the implementation of our policy our national migration policy. And uh, uh, 
the migrant financial transfer. Very important. The, the implementation of this politic can help our country to enhance the national local private sectors by the, the migrant investment. Uh, it can help us to reinforce the national human uh, capital by organizing the transfer of knowledge and know-how of skilled Senegalese uh, migrants. Uh, and uh, it can help us so to promote legal or regular migration and fight again against uh, uh, against uh, irregular migration. And uh, it can help us to promote uh, the respect of Senegalese migrant human rights and the human rights of immigrants in Senegal. And also to address the gender issues of the migration topic. And it can help us to address also the environmental the environment issues, notably the climate change issues and uh, health issues in the link with migration. And uh, the implementation of uh, these national policy, migration policy uh, action plan can allow our country to set up a highly efficient system of migration statistic production. So, uh, we highly need a national migration policy for a better governance and management of migration issues and problems in Senegal. Thank you. Thank you, Lampia, for this overview um, and stressing out the importance of coherence at the policy level, which should also help with coordinating on uh, programmatic efforts uh, at field level but also pointing out the, this issue of climate change and you know, how at policy level you can try to address climate and migration, which I think has been an ongoing discussion in a number of capitals. Um, so I'd, I'd now like to turn to our final speaker, Denise from BMZ, um, because Germany has been a partner of West African countries to strengthen their labor migration policy framework, uh, and Lander talked about that, um, but you've also been active at continental level. So maybe um, if you can tell us about how, as a development agency, you've supported the African Union in improving labor migration governance at continental level. And second, what, you know, what are the main challenges that remain to achieve the African Union objectives? Yeah, many thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to, to speak here and hello to everyone. Um, let me start by saying that uh, German Development Cooperation pursues a comprehensive and gender responsive um, approach with regard to migration and development. Uh, this comprises migration policy advice, diaspora cooperation, voluntary return and sustainable reintegration and legal migration. Uh, we support African partner countries, regional cooperation, as well as the African Union in managing and designing migration in a way that it benefits countries of origin, of destination, as uh, well as migrants. And indeed, we uh, support a number of partner countries in uh, West Africa, including uh, Ghana and Senegal, uh, for example, by uh, funding advice centers for jobs, migration and reintegration in our program, returning to new opportunities in cooperation with national authorities uh, to provide individual counseling to interested persons on regular migration, including travel restrictions uh, due to COVID-19, uh, risks of irregular migration, employment opportunities, 
um, and the centers also help uh, returnees uh, to re reintegrate uh, socially and economically in their uh, respective countries. We also supported the diaspora in Germany in their engagement in African countries of origin, uh, for example, through uh, projects, uh, short-term assignments of experts, and also entrepreneurship. Um, as was already mentioned uh, by uh, Leander in, in Ghana, we also support the government in the revision and implementation of the national diaspora engagement policy, and also support the implementation of the national labor migration strategy. Also briefly on the on the regional level, uh, BMZ uh, supports the intergovernmental authority on uh, development, EGAT and its member states in implementing regional uh, migration policies and better migration management with several projects, but also in West Africa, we have financed a project that, uh, among other aspects, aims to facilitate and promote exchange of experience and transfer of migration practices among stakeholders in Morocco, uh, Côte d'Ivoire, Mali and Senegal uh, based on the memoranda of understanding that Morocco signed with the three other countries in order to uh, step up uh, cooperation on uh, migration issues. But today I will focus on uh, our engagement on uh, labor migration governance at the continental level, namely our support uh, to the African Union since uh, labor migration in Africa is increasing and uh, largely intra-regional, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. This is an important area of uh, cooperation. Uh, so German development cooperation uh, thus supports uh, the implementation of the joint program on labor migration governance of uh, the African Union, which is a key pillar of the AU's overarching migration policy framework for Africa. The support, uh, now it gets a bit technical, uh, has included uh, the development of a training and uh, capacity building strategy uh, for the program and within the strategy uh, training module for labor migration administrators and attaches on labor migration was uh, developed and implemented. Uh, the JLMP program uh, also recognizes that free movement of workers is crucial uh, to advance regional integration and development in Africa. Therefore, German development cooperation has supported the development of free movement guidelines on the labor migration related provision in the AU free movement uh, protocol. These are used, um, for example, um, in developing regional free movement schemes and uh, regional and national labor uh, migration policies. Uh, moreover, we supported uh, the African Union Commission in the implementation of the Migration Policy Framework uh, for Africa, the MPFA, by prov providing institutional capacity development and technical support, uh, for example, uh, on a sensitization uh, campaign of the EU Commission uh, on the uh, MPFA. And uh, in the next phase of our cooperation with the EU, uh, we plan to focus more on the support for policy development processes and coordination mechanisms on labor migration in selected regional economic uh, communities and AO member states, including development and review of rights-based and uh, gender-responsive labor migration strategies. Uh, that being said, uh, challenges remain. Uh, so uh, as we perceive there are concerns uh, about the AU free movement protocol with regard to security, foreign competition, also jobs that need to be addressed as uh, protectionist uh, tendencies in, in some countries remain strong uh, and only a small number of AU member states has so far ratified uh, the AU free movement protocol. 
Um, then, as was uh, said by the uh, by the two previous speakers, uh, the collection and availability of reliable data on migration needs to be improved. Um, uh, in our view, especially on the migration of women, uh, so that it can feed into gender responsive policies uh, for labor migration. And uh, last but not least, uh, the design and uh, implementation of labor migration governance on the continental, regional, and national level, including alignment and harmonization between those levels, is a long-term process and requires long-standing commitment and support from donors. Thank you for thank you for this remark and outlining some of the work that's being done at national, regional, but also continental level and. And in light of this gap, but also the limitation that were outlined by the three other speakers, um, moving forward, what type of intervention could the European Union and EU member states support in the next few years? Um, I think there is some concern about how can we make sure that this initiative address you know, all of these obstacles, seek to maximize the development benefit for these countries, um, but also, you know, build on some of the work that's already been done and, and consult with them. Yeah, in the, in the context of what I just said and uh, looking at it uh, from a political level and in, in our view, uh, continuous or even more support from the EU and its member states uh, would be crucial to step up progress uh, and address the mentioned uh, challenges. Um, I mean, the, the regional multi-annual indicative program for Sub-Saharan Africa under the new uh, NDICI financing uh, instrument of the EU, as well as the two planned regional Team Europe initiatives on migration in Africa, uh, provide new opportunities to support with regard to labor, labor migration governance. Um, all of these uh, frameworks contain objectives or provisions to promote legal migration, not only towards Europe, but also within Africa. Um, so the, the EU Commission, uh, for example, can also build on previous experience in, in the area, um, um, uh, for example, uh, its cooperation with the, with the African Union uh, under the, the JLMP program uh, and uh, projects such as uh, support free movement of persons and migration in West Africa, or towards free movement and transhumans in the in the EGAD regions. Uh, so some of these um, projects uh, could serve as a useful basis for further engagement. Um, and in our view, the two regional Team Europe initiatives, uh, the TEIs on migration in Africa, um, should take African priorities, aims, and frameworks uh, more into account uh, to uh, generate buy-in and ownership of uh, of African partner countries. Um, just to give an example from our side, so within the Team Europe Initiative on Migration in West Africa, uh, German Development Cooperation is currently looking into the possibility to expand our existing advisory services um, uh, that I mentioned uh, before to um, uh, intra-African migration and possibly support cooperation uh, of uh, institutions, authorities uh, across borders, for example, public uh, employment services. Um, so BMZ continues uh, to advocate for its uh, comprehensive approach with regard to migration and development at the EU level, um, as priorities in the area of uh, migration may differ uh, between African partners and the EU. We believe that a comprehensive approach is needed uh, to take priorities from both sides into account. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, that's very interesting on this point of the importance of regional migration for, for development in this region. Um, and also, yeah, the importance of consulting uh, partners uh, in Africa and having them uh, owning also that some of this uh, some of this initiative. 
I mean, on this, I'll turn to Leander and Lampia um, before we open for Q&A, but um, Leander, maybe I have a question and this applies to, to both of you. Based on what you know from the gaps in Ghana and Senegal, uh, what are the areas where they could benefit from, um, you know, the assistance of development actors to implement these new policies um, and move forward toward, you know, better labor migration governance, be it at national level or regional level? Right. So, um, if I may come in, um, there are a number of areas that uh, Ghana has attempted to address with regards to labor migration. So, for instance, as a, a way of uh, formalizing the processes, Ghana has adopted the approach of uh, signing bilateral labor agreements with some countries. Unfortunately, for now, the countries are only limited to the Gulf states and then the Middle East. So my personal recommendation will be to have that replicated in the case of the EU. We know that Italy tried that out with Ghana in 2011 with a bilateral labor agreement, but that was short-lived. So for now, we only have Qatar, UAE, Saudi Arabia is in the works, and then a recent agreement between Ghana and then Barbados, where we supplied 97 uh, nurses to Barbados. It's an experiment that is worth looking into. So I think that development partners in the EU could also extend these agreements to the EU and also even North, uh, North America, just to formalize and have proper uh, agreements in place. Another area is the short-term skills transfer uh, approach. We know that GIZ is doing that. And then also uh, IOM does uh, assisted voluntary returns for some uh, migrants who are prepared and willing to, to return. But our come back to the GIZ goal and approach, you know, the diaspora, uh, diasporas who are intended to return on a short-term basis are supported by GIZ to transfer their skills. And then the difference between the salary they have earned in Europe and that in Ghana will be made up by the, the German government. I think this is uh, a laudable kind of example that should be emulated by the other EU countries. Because the focus here is migrants in Germany. But if we have other countries also having those type of programs in place, then the issue of skills transfer will be enhanced towards uh, development. And integration is a, a major challenge upon return. Most migrants re-migrate because of uh, reintegration challenges. They have reverse cultural shock. So the process of assisting labor migrants, if they choose to return, to return in a dignified way in a sustainable manner is one area that uh, I think development partners might also be able to assist. Then finally, looking at the multi-stakeholder dialogues that GFA is uh, carrying out on behalf of GIZ, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. I might be biased because I'm the national consultant for the multi-stakeholder dialogues, but I think it's really critical, is yielding a lot of positive results where you are able to bring the different government ministries, departments, and their agencies together to brainstorm on key priorities and approaches. It allows us to own the, pol the policies. So it's not an external imposition on the country, but then you have the stakeholders sitting around the table, agreeing in a dialogue kind of uh, environment and I think this is uh, an area that should be supported. It shouldn't be left just to the German government to do the heavy lifting. The other governments are invited to join in, especially when it, when it comes to uh, 
on a bilateral or even the EU type of level. The main sticking point, as I mentioned earlier on, is the establishment of the Ghana National Commission on Migration. And this is critical. If this is established, at least we have a coordinating body which will go beyond just looking at labor migration, but all the different typologies of migration will be, uh, activities in these areas will be coordinated by the commission and it will allow for proper policy planning, implementation, and also uh, a win-win situation for countries in Europe, but also the countries of origin. And I think these, these are areas that are worth looking into. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Leander, for outlining this uh, this comprehensive plan. I think uh, that gives definitely some ideas on, on what can come next. Um, Lampia, I don't know if you want to react to that uh, on, on from the perspective of Senegal. Um, and maybe if you want to also say words on what you see as the role for ECOWAS um, in, in, this, uh, in this area. Yeah, uh, I will be very short in this uh, question. The main level on which uh, we need uh, support or assistance uh, presently, are the first point is uh, to reinforce the capacities of experts, experts in charge of labor migration management. Uh, we remark scarce expertise in the field of labor migration nowadays. Nowadays, as you know it, uh, migration is the privileged field of apprentice sorcerers, uh, which uh, with the big flow of financing uh, in the migration sector, we have many actors without any, any required skill in migration who transform themselves as migrant migration experts for reaping the opportunities. That's why uh, in our developing countries, we need a real reinforcement of capacities on migration issues. Uh, the second point is uh, to help us to enhance the financial, material, and human resources of main institution in charge of labor migration issues and problems uh, because uh, they have not uh, the mean uh, necessary to implement or to realize the, the mission of the institutions. Third point is to help us to realize studies and resources on the nature and the dynamic of labor market for improving uh, its uh, readability because it is a flu area. We have less knowledge on the reality of the uh, labor market in our country. And the last point is to help us to set up a reliable and robust system of production, analysis, stockage, management, and diffusion of uh, labor migration data or statistics. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, um, Lampia. I, I want to follow up with uh, two or three questions we had from the public. Um, the first one is maybe directed um, to you again, Leander and Lampia, on the resistance to free movement in the region. Um, you know, we know that exists from leaders, but also from citizens. Um, and we had a question on, you know, what levers do we have to decrease this resistance uh, to uh, free mobility in the region? 
And then maybe um, Dennis and, and Kate, I'll go back to you on the question of the GCM, uh, the Global Compact for Migration, and to what extent uh, activities of development agency should align, will support um, the progress on this front uh, moving forward. Okay, so let me start by commenting on the issue of uh, resistance. It is a reality that uh, most or some of the relatively wealthy West African countries are quite reluctant when it comes to um, the free movement of ECOA citizens into their countries. They don't have a problem when the movement is out of their countries to take up employment opportunities in other member states, but it becomes a problem, they become quite protective when it comes to allowing citizens to arrive in their countries. What doesn't help is the conflict between national policies and the ECOWAS free movement protocol uh, requirements. So on the one hand, I give a typical example. On the one hand, in 1979, Ghana signed on the dotted line, agreeing to the protocol. But in 1994, and then again in 2013, Ghana came out with the GIPC Act, which excludes some sectors of the economy are totally excluded. Uh, foreigners are excluded from some parts of the economy, like petty trading, and then some economic activities. And there's been no discrimination, like positive discrimination in favor of equa citizens. So it applies to all foreigners, all non-Ghanaians. So this is a classic example of a law that is at odds with the ECOWAS free movement protocol requirements. And it has led to a lot of tension between Ghanaian workers and ECOWAS citizens who are operating in Ghana. So Nigerians and then Ghanaians are constantly at loggerheads because on the one hand, some are using the ECOWAS free movement protocol as a basis for their activities, and then the Ghanaian traders are relying on the national laws. So I think this conflict between the national and then the ECOWAS uh, level type of policies will need to be harmonized for the ECOWAS free movement protocol to take effect meaningfully. And it, it is a, a clear issue of the countries, the Sahelian countries or the landlocked countries tend to want to migrate to the coastal countries. And there's that pushback because those countries equally have unemployment challenges locally, and they are not too keen on admitting uh, labor migrants from the region. Until such a time that we see this as a regional agreement that is going to be a win-win situation for all member states, that hurdle will always be a stumbling block in terms of the full implementation of the ECOWAS free movement protocol. And I think this, these are some of the issues that we need to look at. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lander. I don't know, Lamphia, if you, if you want to react to this. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Mr. Lander resumed quietly the situation. So it is a real problem uh, in our uh, uh, CDAO community to uh, respect uh, uh, the, the protocols of free movement and uh, uh, at the frontiers, there is uh, many behavior of controllers uh, uh, which are independent of 
the 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 the, the volunteer of our uh, our leaders. So uh, uh, Senegal is uh, uh, a good student of the CDAO uh, community because in our country uh, we have not problem with with uh, foreigners. Uh, we have not we have any problems. Uh, the, the 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 immigrants are free in our country and we don't persecute them. We do many efforts to uh, uh, improve the living condition in Senegal. So, so I think uh, uh, many countries uh, of the CEDAO, the state member, uh, must do effort, uh, the same effort as Senegal to uh, promote uh, the free uh, movement of uh, our uh, communities member. It is not easy. So uh, there is uh, <clears throat> many uh, activities uh, uh, to implement for sensibilize, sensibilize, uh, inform the people uh, to, 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 to understand uh, their, uh, their human, uh, their human right and uh, the advantage of uh, uh, the the CDAO, uh, uh, the CDAO advantage uh, legal framework, uh, which perm permit them to uh, to 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 uh, move freely in the in the regions or in the community uh, space. I think uh, uh, we must uh, do uh, 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 real efforts to uh, sensibilize our uh, leaders, uh, public authorities, and, and all the population uh, to uh, master uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the real, uh, uh, stake of the free movement uh, in our country because uh, if uh, you respect uh, the commitments of all the state member, uh, it is uh, it it will be a, a real uh, way to uh, boost our development process. And uh, I think uh, this is my uh, uh, contribution. Thank you. Thank you very much. On, on Thank you for this contribution on the potential and the benefits, promises of a free movement in the region. Um, I'll, I'll just turn to Dennis on this question about the global compact on migration, um, which I think connect more broadly to policy coherence. How do you align like all of these objectives um, between the intervention and development agencies and then national, regional and continental effort? Um, I don't know if you want to react to this, and Kate, uh, happy for you to, to jump in after. Yeah, the, the Global Compact on Migration is, um, is an important framework uh, for us. Uh, um, it's, it's obviously super comprehensive, um, but in terms of, of guidelines and, and principles, uh, it is definitely very useful uh, and serves as, a, as an orientation for us. 
Um, in terms of development cooperation, we are also aware of our limitations uh, so that we uh, can contribute at least uh, as a development ministry only to a number of its of its objectives. Um, um, uh, but in the in the pact, it is also um, underlined that there should be a, a whole of government approach, a whole of society approach. And, um, uh, and, and these are principles that we uh, also hope to pursue, although it's, uh, it's sometimes difficult. In the end, um, it's also up to uh, translating uh, these um, rather or a bit abstract uh, guiding principles and, and guidelines to, uh, to country uh, contexts. Um, I mean, it depends also on the, on the situation in, in partner countries and to see how they, uh, how they can be uh, materialized. Kate, over to you. Sure, so I would, I would agree with Dennis. I think that it sets a common basis of understanding on all of these migration issues. So I think that one way in which the Global Compact is really useful is that it both sets out principles for managing migration well, and also sets out policy options um, for governments and other actors to sort of select from, right? So some of the activities it proposes are at a national level, some are at a regional level, some are even at a multilateral level. So it's a very comprehensive document, but I think that having that to refer back to and having that as a sort of common basis of understanding is a really useful contribution in this area. And then I think the other thing I would mention is some of the institutions and frameworks have sprung up around implementation. We've seen the UN Migration Network being established, but there's also the regional review processes which bring all of these actors together to discuss you know, how they're working together on implementing the Global Compact on migration within their particular regions. Um, and so really addressing all of these governance issues. And in fact, the Africa Regional Review is happening this week and next. And so I think that's a nice example of how the Global Compact can both provide a sort of common understanding, but also basically add additional impetus for moving forward on some of these um, governance issues and providing sort of regional ownership to these processes as well. Thank you very much, uh, Kate and Dennis. And and while I'm afraid um, we're going to have to close now, and, and I want to thank the audience for joining, um, and also thank you to our four panelists for sharing their thought and their analysis. Um, I know there are a few questions we have not had time to, to address, and so we'll try to follow up uh, by email. And so please don't, don't hesitate to, to email us this question. Uh, we want to make sure they get, uh, they get answers. Um, so the audio will be available um, a bit later on our website tomorrow. And um, yeah, we just want to remind you that uh, we have this policy brief that we author and release uh, now about a month ago, and uh, we encourage you to follow the upcoming discussion on the EU side on uh, programming on this question of labor migration um, in Africa. Thank you, everyone.